welcome to stat i'm telling you all medical true crime stories and it gets bizarre karen wickiam yeah she used to work in the r and now she's sharing the knowledge so let's get involved hey funny and scary at the same time medical mysteries all facts she ain't lying <laughs> so tune in the stat if you dare because crazy things can happen anytime anywhere <laughs> yeah Hello, 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 everybody out there in podcast land. Welcome to Stat, Shocking Traumas and Treatments. And I'm your host, Karen Wickiam, coming to you from beautiful Toronto, Ontario, Canada. I hope you're all doing well wherever you are and whenever you're listening. Today, you are stuck with me and me alone. <laughs> I'm just, I wanted to cover this case on my own. What I'm going to talk about today is the murder of Candace Newmaker, a 10-year-old girl that was murdered during an attachment therapy treatment. Attachment therapy is a pseudoscience that is practiced by unlicensed practitioners who have little to no training in psychotherapy, but they call themselves psychotherapists. They're also called invalidated treatments because validation um, of a medical or psychological treatment must come from clear-cut experimental evidence. For unvalidated treatments, any evidence claimed for their effectiveness usually comes from anecdotes told by their practitioners or designed from research. The purpose of rebirthing therapy is to treat reactive attachment disorder, also known as RAD, that's probably what I'm going to refer to it as, and or disinhibited social engagement disorder. So I think it's important that we talk about RAD first so we can have a bit of an understanding um, as to this very real um, syndrome that abused children go through. And then these therapists decide that they know the best way to treat it, which I believe and many others believe that re-traumatize the children and do not help at all. So what is RAD? Attachment issues fall on a spectrum from mild problems that are easily addressed to the most serious form known as reactive attachment disorder. It's a condition in which a child is unable to establish healthy attachment with their parent or primary caregiver. This can lead to difficulty connecting with others, resulting in a lack of trust and self-worth, a fear of getting close to anyone, anger, and the need to be in control. A child with attachment disorder feels unsafe and alone. And children with RAD have been so disrupted in early life that their future relationships are also very impaired. They may experience difficult relating to others and are often developmentally delayed. Reactive attachment disorder is common in children who have been abused, bounced around in foster care, lived in orphanages, or taken away from their primary caregiver after establishing a bond. I'm going to go through a list of attachment disorder causes. So like I said, RAD or attachment disorder occur when a child has been able to consistently connect with a parent or primary caregiver. If a child repeatedly feels alone, abandoned, isolated, powerless, or uncared for, whatever the reason, they learn that they can't depend on others, that the world is a dangerous and frightening place. And this can happen for the following reasons. A baby cries and no one responds or offers comfort. A baby is hungry or wet and they are not attended to for hours. No one looks or talks to or smiles at the baby, so the baby feels alone. A child gets attention only by acting out or displaying other extreme behaviors. 
a young child or baby is mistreated or abused. Sometimes the child's needs are met and sometimes they aren't. The child never knows what to expect. The infant or young child is hospitalized or separated from their parents. A baby or young child is moved from one caregiver to another, the result of adoption, foster care, and a loss of parent. And finally, the parent is emotionally unavailable because of depression, illness, or substance abuse. Now, here are the early warning signs of an attachment disorder. Although it's never too late to treat or repair attachment issues, the earlier that the symptoms are spotted of insecure attachment and steps are taken to repair them, the better. Caught in infancy before they become more serious problems, attachment disorders are often easy to correct with the right help and support. So here are some signs and symptoms of attachment issues in a baby. They avoid eye contact. They don't smile. They don't reach out to be picked up. They reject efforts to calm, soothe, and connect. They don't seem to notice or care when someone leaves them alone. They cry inconsolably. They don't coo or make sounds. They don't follow people's eyes, isn't interested in playing interactive games or playing with toys, and they spend a lot of time rocking or comforting themselves. Now, here are some common signs and symptoms in older children. They have an aversion to touch or physical affection. Children with RAD often flinch, laugh, or even say ouch when touched, rather than producing positive feelings. Touch and affection are perceived as a threat. They have control issues. Most children with reactive attachment disorder go into great lengths to remain in control and avoid feeling helpless. They are often disobedient, defiant, and argumentative. They have anger problems. Anger may be expressed directly in temper tantrums or acting out or through manipulative, passive-aggressive behavior. The children with RAD may hide their anger in socially acceptable actions like giving a hi-fi that hurts or hugging someone too hard. They have difficulty showing genuine care and affection. For example, children with RAD may act inappropriately affectionate with strangers while displaying little or no affection towards other parents. And they have an underdeveloped conscience. Children with RAD may act like they don't have a conscience and fail to show guilt, regret, or remorse after behaving badly. So let's talk about RAD disorder versus disinhibited reactive attachment disorder. As children with RAD grow older, they developed either an uninhibited or disinhibited pattern of symptoms. So the uninhibited symptoms of RAD are the child is extremely withdrawn, emotionally detached, and resistant to comforting. But they are still hypervigilant even though they don't react or respond. They may push others away, ignore them, or even act out in aggression when others try to get close. Now, the disinhibited symptoms of RAD are the child doesn't seem to prefer their parents over other people or even strangers. The child seeks comfort and attention from virtually anyone without distinction. And they are extremely dependent. They act much younger than their age and may appear chronically anxious. There are many ways to help care for a child with RAD or disinhibited social engagement disorder. I'm going to say DSED. So here is professional treatment. If the child is suffering from severe attachment problem, especially RAD, they'll need professional help. Extra support can make a dramatic and positive change in the child's life and the earlier they get help, the better. A pediatrician 
a developmental specialist or an organization that specializes in child development or RAD should be consulted. Treatment for RAD usually involves a combination of therapy, counseling, and parenting education designed to ensure that the child has a safe living environment, develops positive interactions with caregiver, and improves peer relationships. While medication may be used to treat associated conditions such as depression, anxiety, or hyperactivity, there is no quick fix. The pediatrician may recommend a treatment plan that includes family therapy, and typical family therapy for attachment problems include both child and parents or caregivers. The therapy often involves fun and rewarding activities that enhance the attachment bond, as well as help parents and other children in the family understand the symptoms of the disorder and effective interventions. Also, individual psychological counseling is recommended. Therapists may also meet with the child individually or while the parents observed. This is designed to help the child directly with monitoring emotions behavior. In play therapy, they help the child learn appropriate skills for interacting with peers and handling other social situations. They may need special education services, specifically design programs with a child's school that can help them learn skills required for academic and social success while addressing behavioral and emotional difficulties. And parenting skills. Education for parents and caregivers centers on learning about attachment disorders as well as other necessary parenting skills. Now that we have established this, I think it's a good time to talk about rebirthing. Like I said earlier, rebirthing is a pseudo psychological treatment that has no basis in science and medicine. The treatment is abusive to the child and sometimes deadly as in the case with Candace Newmaker. As you've heard, these children suffer unimaginable abuse. There are many therapies and supports for family and the child and their family caregiver all of which that are designed by professionals to help cope with their trauma. Their goal is to help the family as a whole, as caring for the child with RAD can be emotionally and physically exhausting. Traditional rebirthing therapy itself is a fringe treatment and was developed in the 1970s by Leonard Orr, a psychotherapist. It is predominantly a breathing technique and rarely lasts more than 15 minutes. And it is designed to simulate the birth process and is a type of regression therapy. But this is an unvalidated treatment, and I'm going to go through a list of criteria of an unvalidated treatment. And we can apply this to attachment therapy and rebirthing therapy. Treatments tend to have harmful side effects that range from physical injury or death to the consumption of families' resources and money. Lack of empirical evidence confirming their claims of effectiveness. The treatments failed to comply with the standards of practice, such as those concerned with physical contact or the use of restraint. These treatments are not discussed in professional publications, such as peer-reviewed journals. Unvalidated treatments make excessively broad claims of effectiveness. And fringe practitioners use several fringe approaches rather than a conventional approach. And unvalidated treatments tend to have advocates who respond to criticism with a cult-like defensiveness rather than professional concern. Fringe practices prey on the desperation of parents who want to help their children. And rebirthing is an abusive way to treat a child suffering from RAD. It is also deadly. Candace Newmaker's death was not the only one. Here are a, of a few terrible, terrible deaths. Crystal Tibbet. A four-year-old from Utah died in 1996 during an attachment therapy-related treatment carried out by her adoptive father, Donald Tibbetts. 
he was sent to prison. He said that he continued treatment with his daughter even though he was concerned with her breathing. He said that the practitioner told him to carry on. During the treatment, Crystal stopped breathing and died in the practitioner's office. Another is a two-year-old child, David Polrice, an adopted child from Russia who had been treated with AT practitioners. Two years old. He was found battered, and his adopted mother who went to prison said that he had beaten himself with a wooden spoon. The attachment therapy techniques don't just include rebirthing or restraining the child. They also instruct the parent to withhold food, do demanding physical work, and they must make the child maintain physical postures for long periods of time, like standing in the corner with their arms up or kneeling. There was one seven-year-old girl from Texas whose teacher called Child Protective Services because the child was emaciated and eating from garbage cans. She had been required to hold weights over her head for a designated period of time in order to earn her meal. Education is considered a privilege and not a right for these children, and they are often kept from school. All of these punishments are devastating to an already abusive child. You can't tell me that any of that is a healthy treatment. Every single one of those things is abusive. So now I want to talk about Candace Newmaker. I want to give a little background on her life to help us understand the little girl and maybe help understand some of her behavior. This is in no way justifying the treatment she received. It just shows what can happen to an innocent child when she doesn't connect with her parents, when her parents are abusive. So, so here we go. Candace Tierra Elmore was born on November 19, 1989 in Lincoln County, North Carolina, in a rural area. Candace was a second child to her birth mother, Angela Marie Elmore. She was 18 at the time of Candace's birth. Now, this wasn't Angela's first child. She had another child when she was 16 years old, while she was in foster care herself. She gave up that little boy for adoption. Now, Angela had already lived in two homes that were designated for emotionally disturbed children, and it was reported that she was violent. When she was 17, she married 23-year-old Todd Evan Elmore, who had a criminal history. Angela had two more children after Candace. The home was an unstable one. They were constantly moving, and Todd was physically abusive to Angela. Candace became a caregiver to her siblings, as is often the case, even if they're very young, and she often tried to break up fights between her parents. Angela took her three children and moved to a battered woman's shelter, but eventually she left the shelter and moved back in with Todd. The instability and abuse continued, and Candace was showing signs of physical and mental abuse. All three children were removed from the home and placed in foster care. Angela pleaded to get her children back, and agreement was made in the courts that Angela would have to attend parenting classes. But she did not participate consistently, and the children once again were removed from the home of Angela and Todd. They permanently lost their parental rights, and the children became free to be adopted. While Candace was in foster care, her behavior was said to be that of many abused children. Her foster mother stated that she was really negative, disruptive, and an enraged child. This would make six-year-old Candace difficult to be adopted. 
Jean Newmaker was a single pediatric nurse practitioner at Duke Medical Center. The state of North Carolina felt that she was suitable to be a parent to a troubled child with behavior problems. After a home assessment, they found that Jean could provide a healthy, loving, and nurturing home for Candace. Jean adopted Candace in June of 1996 and took two months off in order to spend the summer with Candace so that they can get to know each other and bond. It went really well. Candace started school in September. She had trouble adjusting and had little interest. Jean tried to help her with her schoolwork. This honeymoon period lasted until December, and then Candace's behavior began to change in negative ways. An adjustment period is to be expected. This is an immense upheaval in a child's life. This happened soon after her adoption was completed, and within two months, she was seeing two different psychiatrists. The fights at the Newmaker home were constant, and Candace was said to be doing poorly in school and having difficulties keeping attention. She was diagnosed with ADD and placed on Ritalin, and this did not seem to help. Next, they prescribed her Dexedrine and Prozac. These drugs can damage and permanently alter a child's brain chemistry. She was fidgety and angry and had violent outbursts. Candace lost her appetite and then lost weight. It didn't help that she was taken off and put back on these drugs many times. In May of 1999, Candace started being treated by another psychiatrist by the name of Dr. March. He too diagnosed her with ADD, but he also diagnosed her with ODD, Oppositional Defiant Disorder. ODD is a syndrome with symptoms that include excessive arguing, non-compliance with adults, deliberate attempts to annoy and upset people, mean and hateful talking when upset, impulsivity, stealing, lying, and a lack of trust with anyone. Jean told the doctor that Candace behaved in most of these ways. March also diagnosed Candace with PTSD. Her medication was changed again. This time she was placed on Zoloft. In June 1999, Candace started seeing a psychotherapist, Mary Sue Cherney, at the Durham Center for Child and Family Health. After two months, she started to see another psychiatrist, Dr. Molly Froelich. Candace was taken off Zoloft and then put on Tenex, a medication used to treat ADD. This was quickly changed to Effexor, which is used to treat depression and anxiety. A new diagnosis was added to the growing list of conditions, bipolar disorder. Then she was put on Risperdal, an antipsychotic. The Risperdal seemed to help Candace, but Jean wanted to seek out other treatments other than traditional psychotherapy. Quote, wouldn't be pushed to deal with her issues. Although I continued on an expert's recommendations to go to anybody that they offered, suggested, or recommended, I wasn't feeling that the traditional route really served her well. End of quote. It was documented that Candace's behavior would swing from extreme rages to acting infantile. She would act way beyond her years and then regress to a baby. And Candace was having difficulties at school and socializing in general. She was diagnosed as having a learning disability by the school staff and had been evaluated by Dr. Andrew Short. A plan was put into place to assist Candace in her learning needs. The extra help seemed to be working because she was doing well in fourth grade. So why was she dead before the end of her fourth grade year? First of all, the care that Candace received was all over the place. Many doctors, psychotherapists, social workers, and counselors were involved in Candace's care, but they didn't seem to be in contact with each other. 
Individual plans were put in place, but they didn't work in tandem with each other. Like many other special needs children, she was lost in the system. Jean herself became Candace's caseworker, so to speak, with disastrous results. In 1998, Jean signed up with the Guilford Attachment Center and began to attend group sessions. Jean also started to see an attachment therapy practitioner, Norma Beller, for a new kind of treatment called holding therapy. In their sessions, Norma Beller and her assistant would hold Candace across her laps, immobilize her arms, grab her face, and yell at her. There isn't a video available to see Candace's treatment, and I'm kind of happy for that. So... What I'm going to play you is very disturbing to listen to, but I think it needs to be listened to. So you can fast forward a couple minutes. What I'm about to play you is a young girl getting attachment therapy treatment. And this her mother is restraining her with the help of another person. At times, she is covering her mouth. She is lying on top of her. She is nose to nose with her, screaming in her face. Um, and the child is completely restrained. I'm going to play the video so you can listen to what was going on. Also, the audio is really bad. This is a old homemade video, um, and you might only be able to hear it out of one ear. Um, but I'm going to do my best to try to, to clean it up. But yeah, the audio is, is kind of bad. We want you to love mommy. We want you to give mommy kisses. Mm. What? You are too stubborn. I need you to want me, Faith. You are too stubborn. I need you to want me. I need you to want me, Faith. Touch me. I need you. That feels good. Yes. Hold on. Yes. Oh, that feels good. Give me a kiss. Give me a kiss. Give me a kiss. Stacy, I know I am so mad you're pushing me away. I'm a good mom. I am a good mom. And I'm mad. I'm mad that you won't hold me and hug me and give me kisses. Give me a kiss, Stacy. I say give me a kiss, give me a kiss. Stacy, you have to. I'm the mom. I found that really hard to watch. I'm thinking uh, any of you will. Um, it's just so distressing. This is abuse, forcing a child to go through this, an already traumatized child. So that's just a little taste, <laughs> bad, shitty taste of what attachment therapy is. Near the end of 1999, Jean felt that Candace needed more help because the attachment therapy she was receiving, she didn't feel was helping very much. She went to a conference in Alexandria, Virginia in October. The conference was held by an organization called ATTACH, Association for Treatment and Training of Attachment in Children. There were lucrative practitioners in attendance, as well as mothers offering support to each other. Jean met with Dr. Bill Goble, an attachment therapist who got his PhD from Union Institute, an unaccredited college in Ohio. Goble was considered one of the gurus of AT, attachment therapy, and the conference ran like a cult. This very controversial therapy was not recognized by any medical body and was being touted as the end-all be-all of treatment for 
quote-unquote disturbed children. Even though Jean was a pediatric nurse practitioner, she should have been wary of this treatment, but she pushed forward. Jean would justify her decision saying that she just wanted to help Candace. She informed Dr. Froelich and Dr. Cherney of her plans, and she was not discouraged to go. In April 2000, Jean and Candace went to a small clinic in Evergreen, Colorado. The clinic, Connell Watkins Associates, was run by an unlicensed therapist, Connell Watkins, out of her home. Connell Watkins presented herself as a highly trained social worker with an equally impressive staff that consisted of Julie Ponder, who was a quote-unquote trained in social work, and two assistants, Britta St. Clair and Jack McDaniel. Jean was told to take Candace off of one of her medications, Dexedrine, and to increase Risperdal. And that's just insane. Without being weaned off by a doctor, it is very dangerous. And Condo Watkins didn't request any of Candace's medical records. And these maniacs diagnosed her with bipolar disorder. Some of the principles of this treatment is that the child's anger needs to be released for emotional attachment to the parent to form. The outcome would be a cheerful, loving, and compliant child. If they stood by their diagnosis, they would realize that this treatment wouldn't be helpful at all, regardless of the fact that this treatment was abusive to the child. The intensive treatment was to take two weeks at the clinic in Colorado. During the first week, Candace was not allowed to stay with her mother. Britt St. Clair and Jack McDaniels became her therapeutic foster parents. She only saw her mother for brief periods. Candace underwent daily sessions of holding therapy. She was physically restrained, roughed up, and yelled at for hours at a time. After that, she was made to sit cross-legged in which she could not move or make a sound. She also received compression therapy, and this is when Jean Newmaker was involved. She would lie on top of Candace and lick her face. <laughs> Another part of this treatment was a form of art therapy, psychodramas in which Candace was to play out rejecting her birth mother and accepting her adoptive mother. If she could not, she would be threatened that Jean would abandon her. On April 18th, Candace was put through a rebirthing session. This is a dangerous, physically and mentally abusive form of torture that is supposed to reenact being born into the world with Jean as her real mother. She was to fight through it in order to earn her love of her adoptive mother. Candace was wrapped in a flannel sheet to simulate the tight fit of a womb. Watkins and the staff and Jean Newmaker placed couch pillows on top of Candace. They used their weight to push rhythmically on the girl, simulating contractions, and she was supposed to fight her way out through the opening of the sheet. Candace repeatedly pleaded with the adults to let her out. She begged and screamed and choked, but they would not ease off her and let her out. Seventy minutes later, she was dead. The session was videotaped by Watkins. It captures the torture and murder of Candace. I'm going to read you a transcript from the video. I'm warning you now, this is very disturbing. The video was shown in court in the trial of Julie Ponder and Connell Watkins. Therapist Julie Pounder tells Candace to lie down on the navy blue flannel sheet and to get into the fetal position. Ponder says, So imagine yourself as a teeny little baby inside your mother's womb and what it felt like. Warm. It felt tight because your mother's stomach was all around you. Candace is bound in the sheet. The ends twisted above her head and held by Ponder. 
She is covered by pillows, and four adults begin to press on her. 1 minute 25 seconds. Ponder. What do you think you thought about when you were in there? Candace. I was going to die. Ponder. You thought you were going to die in there? Candace. Yeah. Jean Newmaker. I'm so excited. I'm going to have a brand new baby. I hope it's a girl. I'm going to love her, to hold her, and tell her stories. I'm going to keep her very safe. Every day we'll be together and she will be with me forever. Candace is asked if she believes what her mother is saying. She says, uh-huh. Candace is asked how it makes her feel. She says, happy. Watkins. If the baby doesn't decide to be born, she will die. When the baby decides to be born, it's a wonderful thing. Ponder. So, little baby, are you ready to be reborn? Candace. Uh-huh. Ponder. Come out head first. You'll have to push really hard with your feet. If you want to stay in there, then you're going to die and your mummy is going to die. 8 minutes, 42 seconds. Candace. Who's sitting on me? I can't do it. 8 minutes, 53 seconds. Candace. I can't do it, she said, crying. My hands come out first. Watkins. Sometimes it takes 18 hours to be born. 9 minutes, 33 seconds. Candace. Screaming. I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. 10 minutes, 16 seconds. Whoever is pushing on my head, it's not helping. I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't breathe. It's too dark in here. Please quit pushing on my head. I can't do it. Somebody's sitting on top of me. 10 minutes, 50 seconds. Candace. Moaning. Somebody's on top of me. Where am I supposed to come out? Right here? Where my finger is? 11 minutes, 26 seconds. Candace. I can't do it. She screams, I'm going to die. Ponder, do you want to be born or do you want to stay in there and die? 11 minutes, 40 seconds. Candace, quit pushing on me, please. She's moaning, quit squishing my legs. I'm going to die now, she screams. Ponder, do you want to die? Candace, no, but I'm about to. 12 minutes, 10 seconds. Candace, please, please, I can't breathe. 12 minutes, 30 seconds. I can't do it anymore. 12 minutes, 40 seconds. Please quit pushing on me. 13 minutes, 12 seconds. I need some help. Help. Please help me. Watkins. Are you feeling the contractions, Mom? Newmaker. I am. 13 minutes, 43 seconds. Candace. Where am I? Where am I to go? Right here? Right here? I'm supposed to go right here? Please, please, she screams. Okay, I'm dying. Okay, I'm dying. I'm sorry. 14 minutes, 31 seconds. Okay, I'm dying. 14 minutes, 38 seconds. I'm going to die. 15 minutes, 30 seconds. I want to die. 16 minutes, 8 seconds. Can you let me have some oxygen? You mean, like, you want me to die for real? Ponder. Uh-huh. Candace. Die right now and go to heaven? Ponder. Go ahead and die right now. For real. For real. Candace. Okay, I'm dead. Watkins. It's not always easy to live. You have to be really strong to live a life, a human life. 17 minutes and 7 seconds. Labored breathing. Candace. Get off. I'm sick. Get off. When am I supposed to come out? Where? But how can I get there? Watkins. Go ahead and die. It's easier. It takes a lot of courage to be born. 18 minutes, 26 seconds. You said you would give me oxygen. Watkins. You gotta fight for it. 19 minutes, 50 seconds. Candace vomits. Okay, I'm throwing up. I just threw up. 
I got a poop. I got a poop. 21 minutes, four, 24 seconds. Candace. Uh-oh. I'm going in my pants. Ponder. Go ahead. Watkins. Stay in there with the poop and vomit. 23 minutes, 22 seconds. Candace. Help. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. It's hot. I can't breathe. Newmaker. I'm so excited to have this baby. I'm waiting for you to love and hold you. Ponder. Scream, Candace. Candace. No. Newmaker. Baby, I love you already. I'll hold you and love you and keep you safe forever. Don't give up on your life. But you have to... 32 minutes, 25 seconds to 33 minutes, 44 seconds. Jack McDaniel repositions himself on a pillow over Candace's head. Ponder. Candace? No response. Takes another pillow from Newmaker. She needs more pressure over here, so she can't. So she really needs to fight. Watkins. Getting pretty tight in here. Ponder. Yep. Less and less air all the time. 35 minutes to 40 minutes. Ponder and McDaniel reposition themselves again. Ponder. She gets to be stuck in her own puke and poop. Watkins. Uh-huh. It's her own life. Quitter. 40 minutes, one second. Candace's last word. No. McDaniel. Mama, you got this far. Now it's up to you. Watkins. Candace is used to making her life and everybody else's life a problem. She's not used to living her own life. Ponder. Quitter, 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 quit, 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 quit. She's a quitter. Watkins leaves. Newmaker leaves. McDaniel takes Watkins' place. Watkins returns. McDaniel. This baby doesn't want to live. She's a quitter. Watkins tells McDaniel and St. Clair to take a break. Ponder and Watkins discuss someone who is stressed, then chit-chat about their dream homes and a million-dollar property nearby that is being remodeled. Watkins. Let's talk to the twerp. They unwrap Candace. One hour, nine minutes and 53 seconds. Watkins. Oh, there she's sleeping in her vomit. And that's where the it ends. When they unwrapped Candace, she was blue and had no heartbeat. EMS was called when they arrived. Ponder and Jean Newmaker were performing CPR on her 10-year-old. EMS intubated her and placed her on life support. She had a pulse and was being mechanically ventilated. She was airlifted to Denver Children's Hospital. She was determined to be brain dead by the hospital's physicians. And after 20 hours, she was taken off life support and died. A forensic autopsy was requested and a criminal investigation started. The report of pathologist Dr. Gail Deutsch reads as follows, quote, This 10-year-old died of cerebral edema and herniation caused by hypoxic ischemic encephalopathy, an underlying condition leading to her cardiorespiratory arrest and subsequent hypoxic ischemic injury was not apparent in the organs available for examination. In other words, a healthy, physical, normal 10-year-old girl was killed by a lack of oxygen. Candace's all too short and tragic life was over. Charges and arrests. Arrest orders were issued to Julie Ponder, Britta St. Clair, and Jack McDaniel. They were booked on May 18, 2000, each charged with a single count of reckless abuse resulting in death. Connell Watkins was conveniently visiting her parents in Hawaii when she received a notice of her warrant and returned to Colorado immediately. She was arrested at Denver Airport and charged with reckless abuse resulting in death 
and later charged with criminal impersonation, obtaining a signature by deception, and unlawful practice of psychotherapy. Gene Newmaker was charged with criminally negligent child abuse resulting in death. Throughout the trial, Watkins and her staff remained stone-faced. All five, including Gene Newmaker, were found guilty in all accounts. It was only then that they showed any emotion. A year later, Watkins and Ponder were tried and convicted of reckless child abuse, resulting in death and received 16-year prison sentences. Britta St. Clair and Jack McDaniel, the therapeutic foster parents, pled guilty to criminally negligent child abuse and were given 10 years probation and 1,000 hours of community service in a plea bargain. Not near enough. The adoptive mother, Jean Newmaker, pleaded guilty to neglect, abuse charges, and was given a four-year suspended sentence, after which her charges were expunged from her record. An appeal by Watkins against the conviction and sentence failed. Watkins was paroled in June 2008 under intense supervision with restrictions on contact with children or counseling work, having served approximately seven years of her 16-year sentence. Candace's law was passed that made it illegal to practice attachment therapy and rebirthing. So that's the case of the murder and torture of Candace Newmaker. Everybody involved getting less than a slap on the wrist. The one thing that came out of this is that a law was passed that made it illegal to practice attachment therapy and rebirthing. I am so <laughs> disgusted by this case and this poor young girl's continued abuse from the moment she was born until the moment she died. She deserved a much better life than this and all the abused children that had to go through this despicable therapy. So I'm going to end right here and thank you for joining me today. And if anybody has any comments or questions about this case, please feel free to email me or on the Facebook page, tell us how you feel. Until then, take care of yourself, take care of one another, and love yourself. Peace, one love. True crime and it gets none realer. Sometimes it'll be the cure that'll kill you. Gotta watch out, yeah, you gotta watch your back. Cause you don't wanna be another episode on stat. Thank you for tuning in, learn a thing or two. These medical mysteries can be unbelievable, yeah. Subscribe, make sure you do that so you'll be tuned in and be ready for the next show. Stat.